Welcome to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Ronaldo Brudico, who's going to talk to us about conscious business. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Hey, welcome back to the Radical Brilliance Podcast. Today's guest is Ronaldo Brutico, who is the original founder of the World Business Academy. Ronaldo, more than anyone, has explored the prejudices and perhaps the well-founded prejudices we all have about business and about big corporations, but he's also done more than anyone to see the potential of business, what it could be. You know, we legitimately don't trust corporations, mainly because a corporation is a group of people who operate together. Each individual person maybe has compassion and heart, but an, an organization Actually, it's difficult to retain its heart. So often this happens through the creation of well-thought-out vision, manifesto, and the implementation of that through a conscious leader. Ronaldo will talk to us a lot about this in the podcast today. One thing worth reflecting upon, you know, is that the world is, by most people's reckoning, in something of a mess environmentally, politically, the threat of terrorism. In so many ways, we face the possibility of our own extinction. By now, many people despair in hoping that governments will do something about this. By now, many of us despair at the idea that non-profits can do much about this because they're usually so mired in red tape and regulation. But many people put their faith in social, socially motivated entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs who are in business to make a difference, to make a positive difference where profit comes second, rather than focus just on money and growth for its own sake. So please enjoy this conversation with Ronaldo, who has explored this his whole life and probably made more contribution than anyone to the exploration of conscious business, conscious entrepreneurship. Hey, Ronaldo, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and my peeps. Love being here. So let's get right into it. I've got a, you've been running the World Business Academy, what, since the 80s, I believe. In it? 1986, we started it. Yeah, so that's a really long time. <laughs> Over 30 years. <laughs> Over 30 years, right. So, um, so you've seen a lot of water under the bridge in terms of what it takes to transform business. And I've seen a lot of transformation in business. Right. I mean, when we started, um, we didn't meet in secret, but we were very confidential. We basically um, protected everybody's identity who would come to the meetings. Mm. And back in 86, 87, when we started every meeting by hugging people, and these were all men, obviously, uh, that was really a tough 
squeeze, you pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. And um, what we used to call it was a safe house. So they were free to explore this thing about evolving business consciousness without worrying that their shareholders would misperceive that they've gotten soft around the edges. So it was a way to create a bridge between business as we knew it and business as we felt it needed to become. In other words, it was clear by 86 that business was going to have to be the solution as opposed to the problem. Exactly. Uh, political institutions were simply incapable of dealing with the speed of change. As our relig religious institutions. As our religious And yeah. by the way, so is academia. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's so, so, so if you want to change the world, really gotta, business is the most malleable area. You have to, because right? in business in its broadest sense is how we materialize the etheric plane of reality. Right. How do we take something we conceive of and turn it from idea into car? Let me get to my core question for you that I want to really nail down today. So when people run businesses, there are certain things that every business needs to do. You've, you've got to deal with finances. You've got to make sure your income at least matches your expenditure or, or, or is, is greater than. You've got to probably find investors. You've got to find a way to market so people know you exist. You've got to find a way to create a sustainable operation. These are given with all businesses. But what I've been aware of in, in the, the work we do with, with coaching and Radical Brilliance is the, the motivation that starts a business. The motivation that sustains a business is, can be all over the map. Some people start businesses because they want to, simply because they want to make money and they see a potential gap in, in, in the market or a desire you could create in people, and they, they try, to try to fill that gap with the, with the sole intention of making as much money as possible. You know, possible. there's a lot of work was done. I don't know you remember Bob Schwartz of Terrytown fame. Um, he was a juror chief of New York of Times in New York and for many years, and then he started the first executive conference center in America. And uh, Bob spent, gosh, at least 30 years studying entrepreneurs. And his work and everybody that's since done it, it validates that entrepreneurs actually almost never start businesses for money. Right. They get fascinated by an idea, almost right. like a moth to the, right. the flame. So the, the people who start businesses out of passion mm -hmm. um, may have the best intentions or terrible intentions, mm -hmm. but what drives them is the, is the passion for that idea, not the money. The money comes second. However... There are a whole lot more people mm. who go into business, whether it's their business or someone else's, mm. for the express purpose of making a lot of money. Now, most people will go to, go to work every day because they have to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And they don't see business. There's this great Italian phrase. Um, the problem with you Americans is that uh, you literally live to work. Mm -hmm. We just work to live, Yes, the Italians. So the idea that in America particularly, and it's true of other Western industrialized countries, but particularly it's, it's severe in America, the, the desire to go beyond paying the bills and being willing to trade off it's things that people in most countries would consider most vital, yeah, community, relationship, uh, personal life conditions. Um, people are willing to trade that for money and power. And uh, there's that other old saying, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the deeper you get into the game of business for money, with very few exceptions, the worse the fall is going to be. Exactly. And even if you succeed in the scoreboard of dollars, you will most likely fail in the scoreboard of life. And there's also business for fame and notoriety. You know, mm -hmm. that, that, for example, uh, people sometimes write books 
and they just become fixated on how they can get how how they can get on the New York Times bestseller list, irrespective of whether the content is really helping people. So, let me zone in. The question I really want to focus on in our conversation today is: given the wide range of motivations, and you said that you know people get fixed on an idea, but the idea can have different intent behind it. What do you, in all of your experience, what do you consider to be the highest expression of business? What would be the what would be the motivation that could drive business that would be its its that would be its fullest potential? Well, it, clearly service. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, the academy, which was started, I noticed you didn't hesitate there. No, clearly service. service. Very very interesting. Uh, and and, and, and the, the, the 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 commitment of the academy is to be responsible for the whole of society. Mm-hmm. So to flip. Um, the worst aspect of business is business performed for the purpose of making money and, and every, the devil take the hindmost. Yeah. That's business at its worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what has been dominating the business culture for a very, very long time. Just out of interest, which business sector do you think might be most guilty of that? Well, I'm, unfortunately, it transcends all sectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was the dominant paradigm of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I think uh, particularly what happened out of the Chicago School uh, Milton Friedman uh, really locked into people's minds this false dichotomy of make profits if you're going to be uh, doing your job and anything else is irrelevant. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, that that permeated across a very wide spectrum of businesses. Uh, if you were to take the ones that are probably the most affected by that thinking, they would probably be the ones that are the most toxic. So clearly that's what motivates people in tobacco companies. Right. Okay. It's what motivates people in nuclear power companies because they know better. Right. I was um, wondering about banking. I'll get to banking. Yeah. Military. Yeah. Uh, a huge component of that in military because military spending in the United States is this astronomical number with almost no controls and unlimited ways to get wealthy at the public cost with no, no downside. Um, banking comes in fairly close behind all those sectors I just mentioned. So the sectors that are in the business of either selling destruction, death, or ill health tend to top the list for obvious reasons. Right. Banking, which could be benign and can be very, very um, malignant, um, in periods like we're in now, tends to be more malignant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a period post-2008 where we were going to clean it up. We put the Consumer Finance Bureau in place, uh, Elizabeth Warren's idea, which was brilliant, and we, uh, which has worked incredibly well. I mean, $12 billion already collected from people who were stealing from the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that that, that organization has done are tremendous. And the result is they've been decapitated by the Trump administration. So we're going through a very interesting phenomenon. When I started in 86, uh, very few people even accepted that there was a new business consciousness. Mm. Today, people get that it's a huge force, even if they haven't signed up to it. The cutting edge, the best business people, actually, now perceive it's the future. So you get a Howard Schultz at Starbucks. You mean that service is the future? Yeah, that, that basically we're here as a business to serve society. Yeah. See, the dichotomy that, that somehow business can operate outside of the society that gives birth to it is crazy, yeah. right? So you can't have, like, this whole society spinning itself, like Nero fiddling and Rome prospering. No, mm. when Nero fiddles, Rome's burning. Yeah. And the same thing is true of Trump. Okay? Yeah. When Trump is fiddling, U.S. is burning. In, right. in many different ways, that metaphor holds up, mm. including fires in across the land, if you will, and the, the destruction of the climate and the floods in Pennsylvania last week and on and on and on. So what what's going on is that there's a segment, a powerful and growing segment of increasingly successful business people who are saying, wait a minute, 
there's more to this business thing than just making money and taking care of our families. We're supposed to do something for society if we're actually performing our function. Mm. How are we helping? How are, what are we doing to be responsible for the whole, as we call it? Mm. The academy, our byline is responsibility for the whole. Mm. How are we doing that? And if we ask those questions really well, what happens is we create a new economy, which is now building quite nicely. Uh, you heard some comments at this morning's meeting about the necessity to build community Mm. as a prelude to commerce. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great businesses are starting to understand that. Mm. Uh, We put together what's called an ETF, an an exchange-traded fund, in this nonprofit that came out of the academy five years ago called Just Capital. And and this ETF, when we were first approached by Goldman Sachs, they wanted us to collect a billion dollars worth of people's capital and give it to them so they could invest it in the companies that we said had the best values, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. We said no. When we'll give you a penny. Mm. Go do your own research. If you agree with us that the companies with the best values are the best performing stocks, then you'll come in with your own nickel. Mm. And I'm proud to say on December 12th, Goldman surrendered and said, okay, we'll do it for free, which they did. And uh, three weeks ago, we went to New York Stock Exchange. We rang the bell for this ETF, which is the largest first day of sales in the history of the exchange for an environmental or social or governance type offering. That just capital index, it's called JUST, that index is of companies that have performed well on its values as rated by the American public. And we correlate it, and it turns out they better perform on profits as yeah, well. Yeah, Amy Dominey came to this similar conclusion. Yeah, so Amy's, Amy belongs to, a, to an industry I've been in for about 30 years also called Social Responsible Investing, SRI. Mm-hmm. And uh, she built a heck of a company. In fact, she and I are, in effect... Although we don't know each other that well, we know each other. Um, we're we're the, both the stepchildren of Hazel Henderson, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, although she calls me her, my she's my stepsister. But Amy, uh, Hazel, myself, and a dozen other people about thirty years ago started talking about socially responsible investing. That's what Amy does, mm-hmm. and actually that was that whole business. By the way, was started with a very interesting guy, Wayne Silby, Calvert Group, was the first one. And the idea of SRI investing was, wouldn't companies that don't do certain noxious things outperform companies that do? And she discovered they do. Of course. Well, Hazel did. Yeah. And Hazel wrote the factors that everybody, that Mm. that Amy uses, that didn't Amy, if she was in the room, would be standing up and applauding for Hazel. We all agree that Hazel mothered, I used to say, Hazel, you mothered the entire SRI industry. And she said, oh, Ronaldo, I'm much too old for that. I grandmothered it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this is an industry that today in the U.S. is $16 trillion, not billion, trillion, and globally is around 20 plus trillion. So you're talking about a very big business now, very, very, it's a lot of capital. The idea that businesses which avoid toxic products or toxic marketing or anything that looks like abusive taking advantage of in pursuit of profit. So the number one example would be Tobacco. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if your business model is to addict people from youth until death, and to keep them addicted, so you can kill them by helping them now be buying your products to maximize your prof- product profit, that's what a mafia does. That's that's like selling illegal drugs. It's like I want to addict you, and then you're hooked, and I'm going to keep you forever on my nicotine. That to me is an illegitimate business model. And so in the early days of SRI, Hazel, myself, and Amy and some others said, wait a second, Wayne Silby, that's not a good model. If you're dumb enough to do that, you're dumb enough to make less profit over time than a company that's smart enough to do the right thing. So what would the right thing, quote unquote, be? Well, 
We call it value-centric leadership. If, if your business is based on values, it becomes an expression of service in the community for which you earn a surplus called profit. If you pursue profit for profit's sake, that is identical to the ideology of a cancer cell. Growth for growth's sake. Mm. That sounds like business. Mm. And that's where the ideology was stuck. Mm. SRI investing came around about 30 years ago and said, wait a second, maybe if we track the companies that are avoiding the worst noxious behaviors, maybe they will outperform the companies that do noxious behaviors. And that's what SRI investing is. So you go in and Hazel Henderson created what are called the Henderson screens. And so you screen out, okay, we're not gonna invest in tobacco companies. We're not gonna invest in nuclear. We're not gonna invest in military. So there was a lot of thou shalt not rules yeah. in SRI investing. And I, I was really privileged um, last December, I was, uh, there's an annual conference we do, the SRI conference. And there's always one plenary session for a founder of the industry. And I was uh, honored and uh, pleased that I, got, I was asked to do the founder's uh, plenary session uh, for the industry. And in part what I'm reflecting on here is what I've shared in that industry over the years, which is we've gone as far as you can go with thou shalt not rules. Yeah. And in the last... 10 years, what the academy particularly has been trying to do is lead a movement towards what are the thou shalt rules? Exactly, yeah. Where should we put our capital mm -hmm. to get the best benefit for society? Knowing that profit is the natural outcome from doing something right. If there's too much profit, you got greedy. If there's too little profit, you won't stay in business. Mm -hmm. So profit's a necessary component, but it's the pursuit of profit for profit's sake exactly. that's the ideology of a cancer cell. And what the academy's interest is, and, and I think where, where business has to go and is going um, is to take responsibility for the society working better in the awareness and the realization that to fail to do so ultimately hurts your business. Yeah. Example, nobody is making money in Syria. You don't, there's no barbershops there, right? There, nobody's selling bread on the streets. Okay. Why? Because you can't do commerce in the war zone unless your product is munitions. Except for munitions makers, ain't nobody making money over in Syria. And that's the truth of any country that destabilizes. So what our job in business is, is to take the societies that we emerge from, recognize that we are synergistically bound to them, like twins, and not see the society as a distant, but see it as a, it's, it's, the, it's the, the taproot from which we spring. And if we serve it well, we do very well financially for ourselves and our families, and we provide some benefits society needs. I've, um, and and if, you, if you go at business that way, it, the beauty of it is your success is measured by, in anybody's mind, by what you set out to accomplish. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole radical brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner and another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. 
The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. Let me take you, let me guide you a step underneath. I, I, I resonate with everything you're saying, it's great. So let me guide you a step underneath because Radical Brilliance is an exploration of the technologies that effectively change someone's state of consciousness. So if, we, if you were to take an existing business or a business leader, what do you think is going to change an entrepreneur's mindset to want to do what you're talking about, to want to make a positive difference? What would have to happen in the individual for that to be the fruit? Well, first of all, I think that the, the only thing you ever change really is yourself. Yeah. So in changing yourself, it's amazing what changes around you mm. is, is the way I would look at that question. The academy has had a great bully pulpit for many years from which we can articulate how these principles work in the marketplace. One, one of the reasons I personally went into business, because I've always donated, I'm a dollar a year person for the academy and all the nonprofits I do, I do for free. Um, and um, You mean your personal income is a dollar a year? From whatever I do in the nonprofit sector. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there's actually, that's, that's a really interesting point that you probably know that during the last 16 years of his tenure at Whole Foods, John Mackey didn't take any, 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 any money, any stock options, any bonuses, nothing. He took absolutely nothing. I think he took a salary, he took a small salary. Well, when I interviewed him, he wasn't even taking wasn't that. Wasn't even taking that. Okay. But of course, now, now he's sold it. But that's an interesting model. So um, when Steve Jobs took Apple back as, as CEO, he took a dollar for a dollar a year. And so we're seeing this quite frequently, almost, it's almost like as just as a demonstration of intent, mm -hmm. where people really put a tremendous amount of energy into something they believe in and actually purposefully don't take money out just to, just to make it really clear what their motivation yeah, is. Yeah, and for me, it's, um, I, I, I wear these two hats full time. So I've had two literally full time careers, and I mean that in every sense where like, mm -hmm. I do 70 plus hour weeks, Yeah, have for 35 years and, or more. And for me, it was always my job to make the money in the for-profit side so I could support the nonprofit activities. Incidentally, let's put a little plug in that if anyone's interested in uh, having an improved sexual experience, <laughs> uh, I, can, I, can, uh, I can give a recommendation. There's a wonderful aloe vera-based lubricant that you manufacture, which is very, very popular in our house. Yeah, aloe cadabra. Yeah. And you know, just, that's a great story for another reason, because I... And when I agreed to do that, uh, I thought, you know, all the companies I've built in my life and all the things I've done in all these different industries, 
uh, do I really want to be known as the guy who developed the first organic lubricant? And I do. <laughs> So here's here's my happy story. So that's what's happy. going to go on your gravestone. Right? I don't know about that, but I, the answer it turns out that's a great answer. Segue to the answer of the question you just yeah. asked. Yeah. So how do you change? Well, when I started in the business of doing that, um, Johnson and Johnson and a company called Astroglide controlled ninety nine percent of the personal lubricant market. Right. My wife asked me to analyze what was in those things, and I told her it was so toxic, no yeah. human being. Could ever put it on their body if they really understood. And incidentally, particularly for a woman, yes, the the cells in the vagina are incredibly absorbent. You know, so yes. you use anything toxic in the vagina, and that's really a health and, hazard. And there's more blood that goes close to the surface in the vagina than any other part of the female of body. Yeah. So you're going straight into the bloodstream. Yeah. Yeah, and the bladder, which right. also ends up getting affected. Mm. So, um, so my wife basically instructed me: go figure out how to do this, Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. And I said, but, you know, I only do organic products. And she said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, I don't know how I can get shelf stability if I use, which in our case, we use 95.7% raw organic aloe vera. <laughs> That's, how do you stabilize that without, and still keep it organic was the challenge. But didn't put it in a tube and process it. So we did that. So we go to market. 99.99% of the market is all this other crap that's just terribly toxic. And I said, you know, honey, I don't know how much we can change, but if we can move just 1%, mm. we'll have made a difference. And who knows, maybe they'll copy us eventually. Mm-hmm. Two months ago, and we've been out selling Johnson & Johnson, by the way, on Amazon for quite some time You're now. you kidding, really? Oh, no, we do. Really? So the ultimate compliment, yeah. Johnson & Johnson just released a product which they're now claiming is natural. And compared to their old product, far superior. Yeah. Still not as good as ours, but right. far superior. Right. So where's the consciousness shift there? I believe that what happened is they kept watching the numbers. They didn't change what motivated them. Yeah. They decided it would be smarter to be in our business, just like everybody's learned in the last 30 years to get into organic. Yeah. Right? When I started doing organic, everybody thought, well, that's like a, a Birkenstock for hippies and you know pennies and nickels. and No, actually, it's a big business. <laughs> and it's a growing business. So what happens in, when, you, when people change their direction to Johnson & Johnson in this case it isn't that their consciousness changes, it's their awareness of the marketplace changes. I think the more fundamental question you're asking, which I really like, is how does someone's consciousness really shift? Yeah. And I believe that the only way it happens is by they're taking more responsibility for their own inner dimensions. So I'm, I know John Kavitzin, you probably interviewed him on the show. If you haven't, I'm sure you will. Uh, John I interviewed has, him in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a brilliant job. And in fact, we saw each other at a meeting that we both spoke at not too long ago. And, and, and um, it, what he did is he brought the idea of mindfulness mm-hmm. and he made it totally acceptable in the corporate world. Right. So I've been guest lecturing at phenomenal number of really great business schools from Stanford and Kellogg and you name it, all kinds of different places for years and years and years. And because I've been very successful in so many different industries and so many different businesses, people always ask, how... How do you do it? What's, what's your base tool? What's the most important thing? And I always say, well, first thing, develop a really good meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a mantra. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be my way or some specific method. Just get used to centering. Yeah, you know, in Radical Brilliance, actually, we have a chapter on just sitting mm-hmm. and to make sitting as simple as possible. Yeah. And, and if there's one, people sometimes ask me on interviews, you know, if, if you would just take one of the practices from the book what would it be if somebody was just going to do one thing i'd say 
spend 10 to 15 minutes minimum just sitting doing nothing. It's incredibly yeah. transformative. Yeah, and, and I think the more disciplined you are with your practice, like anything, you be, it becomes more powerful to, to you or for you. So if you really start to learn how to center well or to release extraneous issues well, what happens is that you get clarity at a deeper level. And then if you emerge from that every morning like I do, it gives you a chance to evaluate things from a really fresh perspective. So that one change, doing developing a, a mindfulness practice. Yeah. And, and I, I'm glad the word meditation isn't as scary to people as it was 30 years ago when I started. Well, and it's not even necessary. You know, that's why in, in the book I call the, the chapter how to sit, not how to meditate. Because I make, I make the point, you know, meditation may seem big and scary but anyone can sit yeah your dog can sit right and that's what john does cabin's in you know the idea of just mindfulness just be mindful yeah and so mindfulness practice now is sweeping corporate america no question it's 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 been accepted meditation's even been accepted Mm -hmm. now yoga's being accepted so there are many things that were thought to be fringe approaches to how to live your life that now are very mainstream. What's important about that is it goes to the question you asked, which is how do you change consciousness? So I think you change it from the inside out is the answer. If you change your approach to the marketplace the way J&J is doing to try and compete with me, Mm -hmm. and by the way, people say to me, are you worried that J&J is coming after your market Mm -hmm. niche? You know, actually, I'm really pleased Mm -hmm. because I really succeeded beyond making money. I actually, there's that many more women who are not going to have toxic Garbage. What 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 a percentage of? It's funny we end up talking about lubricants in a conversation about the highest potential of business. But but I'm curious to know what is the what is the percentage of the lubricant market that you've that you've got with Africa? Oh, small, very small. Oh yeah, probably uh, the U.S. market. Um, two three percent. Well, that's pretty good. No, that's small. That's yeah, small. but still, it's uh, it's it's, it's it, figure two percent. Yeah, and and um, it's growing. And incidentally, let me let me let, put everything on pause for a minute, everybody. So, a little aside to you, a little confidential aside. You're listening to this podcast about the potential future of business, but just on the side, if you do want to increase the pleasure of your sexual experience, abracadabra is the lubricant to go. Alocadabra. Thank you. Alocadabra is the is the lubricant to go. Alocadabra.com. Yeah, it is, and it's actually a moisturizer too, so it's way beyond your sexual. Uh, we have many female customers who write us thanking us because it deals with many postmenopausal issues right. of comfort. But but the the the, the product was created because my wife instructed me to do it, and and I'm really glad I did in hindsight because I get the best letters. And in fact, I will not name one of our uh, co-participants at this conference. Gave me the most enormous hug yesterday afternoon to thank me for her experience of our product and right. just wanted me to I'll, know. I'll, I'll give you another hug. <laughs> um, so we, we need to we need to wind up a little bit. So let, let, I want to just see if we can bring this together and and imagine that humanity evolves in its in the best possible way we can imagine. And just let's imagine that we stop making so many dumb mistakes and we actually get ourselves together and evolve dramatically what in the best possible scenario what would business look like in 20 years oh well that's easy uh business would look as it's beginning to look Mm. like 
the leadership mm. for the social changes that have to occur. Example, Howard Schultz, chairman of Starbucks, within minutes of hearing the case of the two black men in Philadelphia, right. said, that's not right. Mm. That's, that's implicit bias. That doesn't belong in our company. Right. Closes the entire company down on May 29th. A huge cost to do that. Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't take a poll like mm. politicians would. Mm. Didn't ask Jesus going to be popular with the white people to come and shop here. Mm. He said it's just wrong. It's the right thing to it's do. It's the moral leadership. Yeah. Actually, Greg Steppenpole, who founded Odwala Juice, on on a, just a vague rumor about Salmonella, he did a complete across the board withdrawal of a recall of all his products. Took him three years to recover financially, but because he knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah, you know, Greg is a great guy. I've known yeah. Greg for years, and uh, I'm hoping he's going to hear this because uh, I have a lot of. He knows this. I have a lot of respect for Greg, yeah. uh, and I'm grateful that he can continue to stay in the food business. Mm. Uh, I posted Adwala. He sold the company Adwala to PepsiCo. Yeah, and I was uh, the founding chairman of the board. The most recent company like that that PepsiCo just bought in January, yeah. called uh, Kevita. Uh-huh. Which is the was oh, the Kavita, fa- I know, yeah. Yeah, was the yeah. fastest growing probiotic beverage in America, organic. Yeah. I, I met the founder, Mo. Bill Moses. Moses. He's Bill my partner. Moses, yeah. So I was the founding chairman. Bill yeah. was the founding CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a long story. We're still part. In fact, Bill's now on the board of the academy. Okay. Um, but the, but the point I wanted to mention um, is the academy was founded on the principles on a, on a tripartite mission in 1986, which has never changed. And 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 if you'll notice. Because you ask about consciousness. Mm. So it was founded, and the mission was, three times I hear the word consciousness. So to shift the consciousness of existing business leadership from that of a predator to that of a steward. A steward. Because you act differently if you think you're responsible. Mm -hmm. That's where business will be in 20 years. Second part of the mission, shift the consciousness of young people going into business schools, particularly, but into business generally, to see themselves entering a noble profession rather than jungle because you give yourself permission to do things in the jungle you're not allowed to do in the temple. Mm -hmm. That's how you shift conscious. The third thing you got to do is you shift the conscious of the public at large so they put their money where their deep values are and all of the more retrograde companies will follow just to get the money. So the, the point of that answer is business in 20 years will look like each of those three things are not only being addressed as they are now, effectively and successfully, they will be actually the common denominator of the new business consciousness. And as that consciousness evolves, it'll become clearer and clearer that the most successful companies, the Starbucks, um, the um, the Unilevers, uh, on and on, all of these companies mm. have come to the awareness, to the realization, oh, value-centric business, responsibility for the whole, actually even makes you more money. Brilliant. Hey, Ronaldo, thank you so much for taking this time. And thank you also so much for dedicating your life to transforming one area of human activity that makes the most possible difference to all of us. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for having me on the show because transforming business is what we need to do if we are going to succeed. And I believe we will. I want to put in one plug. So we put out now, we just started putting out a thing called Optimus Daily. Because there is so much negativity in the world, so much cynicism. Mm. We wanted everybody to have a way for free. So it's a free service. Mm -hmm. So please, anybody listening, just go to OptimusDaily.com and sign up for a free five-day-a-week service every day, Monday through Friday. In two minutes, you can read five positive stories that you didn't know existed. Awesome. Start your day that way. Thank you.
All right. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Ronaldo. I hope you found it helpful and useful. We're going to do a little practice now to finish up our podcast for today. You could do this in conversation with a friend at a cafe or going for a walk. You could also do it just writing on your own. We're going to, first of all, contemplate the prejudices that we carry, some of them well-founded, about business. What are the prejudices that we carry about organizations that are designed to make a profit? Whether they be small entrepreneur-type small businesses or whether they be large corporations. Maybe write down five or ten statements about the reasons why you've developed distrust for large organizations or maybe the reason that you trust them. But what beliefs and attitudes do you have about business? And when you've done that, I'm going to ask you to do another speaking practice with a friend or a writing practice on your own to consider the ultimate evolutionary possibility of business. If we could recreate business fresh, what would business be and what would the role of business be in the world? Particularly if you are a business owner, to think of the highest evolutionary potential of your own business would allow you to maximize the contribution you make. Thank you for being a guest with me on the Radical Brilliance podcast and I look forward to sharing more amazing people who are contributing to a better world with you over the next weeks and months to come.